I think there's a lot of preparation you can do before you move over here, connecting with people, asking your network in Australia, do you know anyone in England or do you know anyone in New York or wherever wherever you're thinking of going? And using those connections, I think are really cool to start. Hey, I'm on my way over. Can, can we grab a coffee? I land on this date. You know, where are you based? I'm happy to come to you. And even just getting your name out there and making it known because things like the Muller Group, you know, there might be jobs that come up and we say, oh, actually, Ruben's about to move over. He'd be great for this. You know, do you want it? You should have a chat to him. G'day, guys. On the show today is Chris Dobson. Chris is an Australian living in the UK who is the commercial director at DMC Sport, whose work includes producing and delivering participation kits for junior programs like Woolworths Cricket Blast in Australia and similar with the English and Wales Cricket Board over in the UK. Chris is also one of the early members of the Muller Group, a network for Australians working in sport in London. Chris has been in the UK for over six years now and is well-versed in how to make the jump to establish yourself in London and find work in sport. And if you're interested in making the London move in the future, you are going to absolutely love Chris's advice. So let's go. I started volunteering. It's all about who you know in sport. Am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final? You can connect with the interviewer. The hand goes up when they've got to make a decision. Having a network is one of the most important things you can do. I didn't necessarily follow my passion. I followed my curiosity. Once you've worked in sport, there's no going back. And then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two. Hello and welcome to the Sports Grab Podcast, the ultimate guide to make it in the sports industry. I'm Ryan Walker and joining me is the Prince of Axon Provence, Reuben Williams. And we have two mates who met at Cricket Australia back in the day. And each week we learn how people made it in the sports industry. We tease out some of their career decisions, their work habits, skills and everything they do that makes them great. All at sea so that you can learn how to get in, get promoted, and get thriving in the sports industry. Rubes, you're a prince of another location. How are you, my friend? G'day, Ryan. I'm doing well. Thank you. Pleasure to see you as always. I think you've labeled me the prince of about a dozen different locations now. So um, we might have to uh, revisit the uh, the uh, creativity in your titles, I think. <laughs> but uh I am enjoying Axon Provence. It's a beautiful part of uh, southern France. It's very quiet down here, so uh, we're having a good time. But the uh, the podcast setup for this particular episode is is pretty rogue. We're um we're on the couch with the laptop perched on a stand of of uh, washing that's currently drying at the moment. So you got to do what you got to do when you're on the road and trying to podcast at the same time. But um, how are you going, mate? I'm going well. I'm. Uh, I've just got back from Sydney, so we had our had our Sydney meetup on last. Well, uh, yeah, about a week ago now, uh, a week and a half ago now, which was absolutely awesome. Getting up there and and seeing some of our Sydney members and some of the organisations we work with as well. Um, and I managed to get to the Matildas game on uh, last Monday as well. So, absolutely incredible experience. I think I posted on uh, LinkedIn about a week ago now, and well, today which we're recording and. Um, it, I, I just thought it was one of the best experiences in sport I've ever had in my life. Uh, you know, nearly 80,000 at Australia Stadium in, in Sydney was just something else. So, um, yeah, I'm on a bit of a high at the moment. I, uh, I just thought it was a brilliant time in Sydney and it just capped off by being able to see, uh, see the Tilly. So it's been a good, uh, good few days. Fantastic. Well, it's it's been a, an incredibly active period in, since we uh, since we last spoke to people because you've been to the Matildas. Uh, the Matildas would have played again when people hear this as well. We've got the uh, the quarterfinals coming up on Saturday, so fingers crossed that's a, another excellent result for us. But then in the meantime, we uh, we had episode two hundred and fifty last week, but we didn't talk about what was going on in the sports grad community at the same time. Because since then, people would have seen that we closed the doors of the sports grad community to do some work on it. However, one of the things that came across our desk was this understanding that there's a whole lot of young professionals working in sport who are tuning into what we do. So our initial sort of build the sports grad community up again has kind of almost taken a just a, a, a side seat for the time being whilst we look at what sports grad pro could be because we put out the word during the week on Instagram and LinkedIn to say, hey, we've noticed something. Is this anything? Uh, do you guys want some more content around stuff that makes you great at work once you get into the industry? And um, 
We're currently recording this on uh, Wednesday morning, my time. I've just kind of kind of seen the results of uh, another LinkedIn post. It looks like looks like it's pretty positive. So I'm not sure what's going to happen in the sports grad pro space between now and when people start to hear this episode. But um, we uh, we could be on for uh, for a new newsletter. Yeah, it's. Uh, I did see that poll, and it it seemed like it was absolutely going off. So we've unearthed something, Ruse, which is enormous, and and. You know, as as you would know, and as many of our listeners know, we we do move fairly quickly at uh, at SportsGrad HQ. So uh, I've got no doubt by the next time we record, there'll be probably more more to say on this. So um, definitely stay tuned. It's a it's a really exciting uh, exciting time for us, and uh, yeah, we're we're pumped. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. So um, another thing that came across my desk, by the way. Uh, and you know, I, I think I've whipped out a stat every now and again on the podcast. It's not a huge strength of mine to, to find little stats, but something came across my desk early this morning uh, from our good friend of the show, Chris McPherson. He would be listening right now. Uh, and he actually provided me with some data on the time that we've spent on this podcast. Uh, 250 episodes, this is 251, so this isn't counted, but... We've actually sat on this podcast for 147 hours and four minutes over the journey. Um, so that is essentially 147 conversations, well, no, 250 conversations and over 147 hours spent chatting with you and also other legends in the sports industry. So I thought that is a bit of a fun stat for those playing along at home who, who love their, their sports and their data. Uh, a little fun fact for your Monday. Well, that is not too far off an entire week of podcasting because I think a week has got 168 hours, yeah. so 147 is not far off it. So, I don't know, yeah. imagine just doing a week straight of uh, podcasting and talking to each other. <laughs> yeah. be, uh, it'd be a lot. <laughs> but um, it reminds me actually we'd, of a... Um, we'd need a year off. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, imagine that the podcast <laughs> marathon. See how long you can survive for talking. <laughs> but that actually jogs my memory because we had one person message me on LinkedIn uh, probably a couple of months ago now, saying, "Hey, Ruben, I've just discovered the podcast, and I have binged every single episode in three and a half weeks on like two times speed." And you know, yep. if if uh, if we've recorded for um, almost an entire week. And someone's listening to it in three weeks. That's like a third of every single day for three weeks, listening to us, which is outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure the maths are perfect <laughs> on that, but it's it's a lot of sports grad in your ears every single day for a very intense period of time. <laughs> yeah, we love the super fans, uh, mm. and you know we're not going to be we're not going to blow our own trumpet and say there's a lot of super fans out there, but when they do pop up, we. Uh, we absolutely love them. So, mm. shout out to everyone who's who has been to the show. We absolutely love it, and uh, continue to do so. So, mm. um, and they're they're part of our community, obviously. And speaking of the community, uh, it continues to to grow. We've had, I mean, we had some. There, here's some stats, by the way. Over ninety five members last week join our community, which for uh, for context for everybody. And we're happy to say this publicly, like our best month of all time, we got 72 new members in, right? And in the space of 48 hours, whilst it was Thursday to Friday, whilst I was in Sydney, we had 95 join in that period and then another five or so joined from the meetup. So we, we cracked the ton um, in the space of 48 hours. So that was off the back of us closing it and, and putting a little bit more uh, scarcity with it, which is fantastic, but that is just a... An unbelievable stat as well. So that's part of our community update. But there's been some wins as well, Rubes. Yeah, absolutely. That was a, a wild period. Um, but in terms of some wins for the community, first one I want to shout out is Alyssa Cullinan, who's just got an incredible role as the member services assistant at the Adelaide Crows. The Crows are flying at the moment. It'd be a great place to to be a part of, a pe- especially with our big mm. text doing his thing down there. So, uh, word on to you, Alyssa, joining um, our good friend Path down there who's uh, absolutely flying in, in his new role. And uh, the other one is Lizzie Ripchich, who has just become the media intern at Disability Sport Australia, another fantastic organisation and another incredible opportunity for uh, Lizzie to get the, her foot in the door. So, 
Well done to you two girls. And then, of course, we've always got events coming up. Last week, we had She Hoops jump on a job fair. We, we had over 40 people get along to it, Ryan, which is outstanding. I wasn't there. It was 4 a.m. in the morning for me, so um, I couldn't make that one. But I understand it was absolutely outstanding. I saw the screenshots <laughs> of it. I saw the photos, and it just looked incredible. All these brand-new people jumping on for the first time, which um, uh, is amazing to see. But there's plenty more of that coming up. We do a job fair every single month. We've got speed networking happening tonight as of the day that this episode goes out, which will be a Monday. So if you, uh, if you, want, to, um, if you want to stay up to date with when the next release or the next intake of members is coming up, head to sportsgrad.com.au forward slash community to join the wait list. And if you want to hear about all the different events that are coming up and get some advice in your inbox every Friday about how to get closer to a job in sport, then our newsletter is the next best place to um to stab to date with all that. So sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter is where you can jump in and get that. I'm pumped for this episode, Rubes. It's an absolute ripper. So grab a pen and enjoy this chat with Chris Dobson. Everybody wants to study at one of the top unis in the world for sport. And at Deakin, you can do just that. So don't miss your chance to see what sets them apart at their campus open days this August. Check out the state-of-the-art facilities, hear from their world-class academics, meet with current students and experience the campus vibe that they're famous for. Join thousands of the brightest students who have already registered to attend this unmissable event. Search Deakin Open Day and take your first step towards achieving your ultimate career. The Geelong Open Day is on the 20th of August, 9am to 3pm. And of course, Burwood Open Day is the 27th of August at 9am to 3pm. So check it out now and start your career in sport. Chris, welcome to the SportsGrad podcast. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's good to be here. I've been um, you know watching you guys from afar for a little while now, so it's uh, it's good to finally catch up and 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 uh, jump into the podcast. It's wonderful to have you on, Chris. Now you're joining us live from the UK, where uh, less than 24 hours ago Australia <laughs> lost the last test in the Ashes. How is it being an Australian in London at the moment? Are you copying a bit of lip from people? Um, look, it's been up and down, like much like the series. Actually, it's uh, thankfully we've had we've had the two the two nil to start with to sort of you know um, back us up a little bit there, and um, you know it's uh, that's helped. And so we've known, and then and then obviously once Manchester got rained out, we we kind of couldn't lose. Um, couldn't lose the urn anyway, and so then it was about whether we could try and actually win the series, which, yeah, uh, as, as you probably know, that we, we weren't able to do, but I was um, lucky or unlucky enough yesterday to drop drop down to the Oval after work and um, and watch the Aussies collapse, um, but I uh, got to experience the, the English crowd uh, revved up and, and enjoying their board's last game and, and, you know, drawing the series, which I think they probably in the end deserve to um, Given given the results of the last two or three tests, I can't believe, and this is just for me, that a forty-one year old in Jimmy Anderson is going to retire after Stuart Broad. Uh, I, I find that super super unusual, but um, I'm also quite happy to see the back of Stuart Broad personally as well. Hundred percent, hundred percent from a bloke point of view and also a player <laughs> point of view. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although he's won me over a little bit re- more recently with his yeah. with his um, charm, and I, I think yeah, um, yeah he's maybe he's played up to that villain a little bit more than what he actually is. Um, but yeah, yeah, given given his as a, as a as a player, he's um, he's had the good over us, and um, even yesterday he did the bail swap, and and I said to my mate, and I was like, oh, he's just swapped the bail this week the last time, and then literally the next yeah. ball he, he got a <laughs> yeah. wicket. And, I was like, you can see the yeah. cheeky smile on his face. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't good. But um, no, nah, anyway, it's been yeah, it's been good. No, very good. Um, now every episode we start with some quick fire questions of our guests. So uh, designed for those listening in to learn a little bit about you um, from the get go, and then we'll get into some more deeper questions as we go. So I'll start. Uh, wh- what was your first ever job? 
Well, I grew up in country Victoria um, in, in, a, in a town called Shepparton, which you may or may not know. But, um, uh, yeah, we had a number of jobs, my brothers and I, but um, sort of my main real first job with a f- real paycheck that wasn't sort of a parent's friend or something it was Big W stacking shelves, something that, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, youngsters have to do. Um, but also in, being in Shepparton, um, picking fruit at, you know, during during the um, summer was also pretty, um, you know, a rite of passage for, for people in Shep. Nice. nice. Helping out uh, SPC, the major employer in that, town, I'm that's sure. Right. Yep. That's right. That's yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and what did you study at university? Yeah, so I actually, I took a year off after high school and, and worked at a... Um, at uh, Lauriston Girls School, who have a campus up near Mount Buller. So I did a year up there um, as like a outdoor assistant, outdoor ed sort of teacher's assistant. Um, so I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And then, um, yeah, enjoyed that. And, and that led me to um, doing a PE degree at Vic Uni. So did a, a PE in English teaching degree. Um, yeah, down, down in, uh, in Footscray and, and Melton. Very nice. Uh, what was your favorite sporting moment? Oh, I mean, there's a lot. Um, I, I love watching all sport. There's, there's not too much I don't like watching and, and, and being at. But um, being a D's, D supporter, the twenty, you know, two thousand twenty one in a in a pub with sort of two hundred people in London was was pretty good. With a couple of good mates who are Melbourne supporters as well. Um, you know, that was that was excellent. Um, more recently, got to uh, be courtside for. Um, an NBA final game, um, or at least during the warm up with LeBron warming up, and that was that was pretty spectacular. Sort of seeing the size of size of the guys there, and then it was a, it was a it was a good game. I can't even remember what what game it was of the series, but um, uh, you know they it was it was on for young and old, and, and uh, yeah, that was that was pretty special as well. Amazing! You'd want to reach out and touch him. What about um? Interview questions. What's your favourite question to ask of candidates? Um, we've actually we've actually been recruiting in the last uh, little while, and um, we're, a lot of our recruiting or questions anyway are around trying to find out more about the person. We get a lot of information from CVs and LinkedIn these days that um, we try and find out about the person. So they're they're my um, favourite questions. Getting to know you know culturally whether they're going to be a right fit. So I really like asking um, you know if you have. A spare um, 20, 24, 48 hours um, on the weekend, or, or a day off, or whatever. You know what? What would you ideally like to do? Um, just to get a sense of what they're what they're about. Um, you know what they're um, socially and, and kind of even um, extracurricular. You know what if they play sport, if they um, travel, music, whatever it might be. Um, so they're, they're my favourite questions. Although it's pr- pretty standard, um, I do like finding you know more about the person. Um, outside of what we can read on the CV. Nice. Uh, is there a book or a podcast that you'd recommend to our listeners that's helped you with work? Um, help me with work. I, I do. Um, uh, there's a couple that I, I do. I do stay in touch with the Australian sporting um, through through your kind of uh, um, you know, SENs and and a few of those kind of podcasts, which I which I don't know if it helps me with work, but it definitely uh, keeps me keeps me up to date. I'm just having a look at my podcast list here because I um is it the Sounding Board to... podcast with Hutchie and Damo. Yeah, I don't uh, mind the sounding. I was actually listening to that this morning. Yeah, that's good because yep. it's uh it's great yeah, it, podcast. They, it is because they they I like how they kind of cross from sport. Like they were, this morning's one, they were actually I listened to on my way to work. They were talking about the Ashes and Matildas and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then, uh, you know, then they cross over to the kind of business or the, the media side of things, which is really cool. Um, uh, how, how They Built This or How I Built This mm. um, is another podcast where they interview. It's probably gone off the boil a little bit more recently, but, um, you know, where they interview CEOs or, or founders of, of organizations, companies, um, and how they did it. And those stories are pretty fascinating of, of you know, resilience or good luck um whatever it might have been um to to build and and often it's you know they'll, they'll do you know kind of the guy that's you know the people that started uber or the people that started canva or the some of these organizations which are now you know massive it's um they all started somewhere and, and it's fascinating to listen to um you know to to where that came from yep i've, I've enjoyed that one too that's that's a ripper um and any grassroots clubs that you're associated with um yeah it's been 
been uh, ingrained in me to, to be involved in grassroots sports but in she- from, from early days in Shepparton. Um, uh, a lot of footy, hockey, tennis clubs um, uh, and, you know, grew up with my dad and, and mum involved on the committees and pre- being presidents. And um, My family's not, not so well, well, my direct family, not so well known for the, the playing side, but fairly good on the administration side and the volunteering side. Um, and so currently over here, um, involved with the North London Lions Aussie Rules team over here um, that plays in the AFL London comp, um, which is which has been really good fun um, since I since I moved. I had ever, didn't have any huge intentions of being involved in, in grassroots sport here because I'd, I'd sort of had done my time a little bit in, in Melbourne and um, being involved in coaching and, and on the committee at, at North Old Boys in the, in the Ammos. Um, in, in Brunswick there, but um, yeah, happened to move in next door to a couple of Aussies, and they um, they convinced me to go to training. And, and next thing I know, we're involved in coaching and involved yeah, on the committee and all that kind of stuff. So it's been great. Met lots of great people, and it's the a grassroots club here in London is um, not that much different to to one in in, in Melbourne or Australia. Um, uh, you know, just just a bit more transient, really, because you you got the two year visas. Um, Sort of forcing people to leave, but um, there's a good crew of us older guys and girls that are that are uh, involved, and that's it's been really good. Nice. It sounds like a good vibe. Um, and finally, if you had 30 minutes to pick someone's brain, who, who would it be? Oh, um, geez, that's a good one. Um, I, I should have uh, I should have researched this one a little bit more. I think there's some really old ones, but I guess uh, sorry, obvious ones. But I think in terms of um, you know, uh, sports and, and sort of sports uh, administration, sports development, and, and the commercial side of things. Um, anyone that's anyone that's really, uh, you know, I look sort of internally at things like you know um, the Melbourne Football Club, North Melbourne Football Club now, um, Melbourne Storm. And I'm, I know I'm being very Melbourne centric there, but sort of clubs uh, that have or and organisations that have been through some tough times that are now coming through the end and, and not to say that some of those are right through to the end, but um, the people involved in, in those kind of situations, I think would be um, fascinating. And, you know, those, those clubs exist all around the world. You know, there's um, at the moment here, there's, I mean, it's not often that there's not a, a club in the EPL um, going through some sort of administration turmoil um, you know, even even Ange at, at Tottenham now is he's having some trouble with his owners and stuff like that. So, anyone like that that's been involved during those situations, I'd love to um, sit down and just map out the you know the process or the journey that they went through to to come out the other end. Again, um, I love those stories of resilience and um, you know tough work to get to a um, to a to a point where you can you know feel a bit bit of success. I think that that'd be really cool. Wonderful. That would be very cool to hear. Speaking of uh, timelines and journeys, let's dive into to yours now. Could you walk us through how uh, some of those early days in, in Melbourne and Victoria led you to being in London and, uh, importantly, staying in London? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, as I said, did, did a teaching degree and actually um, only taught for a sort of five five or so years um, around different parts of the the world really um so in um a little bit in shepparton a little bit in melbourne um in, in different schools um and then also over in mexico taught for a year in mexico did pe um at a at a, an american school essentially in mexico which um which was awesome but um when i got back from there i'd kind of um realized that it wasn't necessarily for me but i still wanted to be involved in sport and and involved in kids sport um I love love that aspect and trying to get more kids active and um, and more people playing more sport more often is kind of you know even at DMC now where I am it's that's you know part of our part of our values and um, so that that led me to working with the Australian Sports Commission back then it was called now Sport Australia um, and that was with again back then it was called the uh, Active After School Communities which is now called. Uh, sporting schools, I believe it is. Um, so I was I was a development manager or a regional manager for the active after schools um, in Melbourne, um, which so I was, that was that was a perfect sort of intro into that the business side of sport, but still very school and and um, uh, participation based. So you know that was um, working with schools to to 
get um, sports to come in and run those activities after school. Really cool program that's still, um, you know, from what I can see from afar, you know, really successful. Um, and that, that, that got me involved in, in and, and my, grew my network really well, um, especially when I moved to Canberra for a couple of years to kind of go to the national office there and, and work in the participation team there, which essentially was uh, the department at the government that would give the money to sports to then go and target um, different segments of the community. So whether it's um, kids, whether it's girls and women, whether it's people with disability, um, people from a, a multicultural or indigenous background. So they, you know, sports now have funding to sort of um, create programs and campaigns. And so we would help, we would, you know, provide that funding and then help them with some advice. And um, that was really cool because it meant I had a, um, portfolio of sports around around the country um, that I could work with, and, and then again that kind of um, opened my eyes to the to national governing bodies um, and, and increased my network. Really, um, probably most importantly, um, so I had sort of you know some big sports like cricket Australia and swimming Australia in my portfolio, but then had some um, you know some sports that were uh, up and coming, if you like, or, or not as well resourced and. Um, uh, so like, uh, who else was it? So I had, um, lawn bowls, Australia, surfing, Australia, um, triathlon, Australia. So these big sporting bodies, but the, that we know as, as, you know, we've all been, Australians have been very successful at the top end, but, you know, um, kids and, and young people playing, you know, being involved in those sports at a participation level is, is not high. So it was really cool to have that, that breadth of, um, experience or portfolio of sports to work with. Um, however, the, the, the lure of Melbourne and, um, and, uh, meeting my future wife was drew me back to Melbourne and, um, and that meant, uh, you know, finding a job and thankfully it probably through that network and, um, that I'd made, I was able to um, land a job with Netball Australia as, um, uh, general manager of participation. So kind of combined all of that experience, um, really well to, to look after the NetSec Go program and, and some of the sort of um, community programs, um, school ambassador programs, things like that. Um, so I was there for sort of three or four years. Um, we, we had a really good time during the 2015 World Cup in Sydney, which, which we were heavily involved in. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then um, the, what my wife and I decided uh, to come over to London. We'd never been to Europe. We'd never been to London. Um, and we did neither of us had a job lined up. Um, but we thought let's, we had, we had some friends over here and, and we had some sort of possible contacts and I guess, um, always had my teaching degree to fall back on. I knew that, you know, there's, there's a teacher shortage in London, probably like everywhere, but I knew if, 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 uh, <clears throat> if we needed to put food on the table, then I could obviously go and do some teaching at a school, which, which actually happened in the end, um, for, for a few months while I found my feet and did a bit of travel, um. So yeah, so that's that's where we ended up in London, and um, and you know we loved it, and still love it. Uh, nearly seven and a half years later, um, so it's uh, yeah, there's it's um, it's been really good and, and hard work, but uh, really enjoyed it and love love being here. No, brilliant. We love a good career journey, and we love you know seeing people just jump from you know. There's so many stories of people jumping overseas and finding something that you know, they love and then they never leave. And it just sort of shows the power of moving overseas and finding different opportunities, which is awesome. Um, and now now you're at DMC. Um, yeah. For those tuning in, do you want to just give us a bit of a bit of a summary of who DMC are uh, and, and what does your role look like day to day? Yeah. So, I mean, even, even um, uh, I think I said, so I, I kind of did a bit of teaching um, knew a few of the guys at the ECB, um, a couple of Australians were working there. So the Aussie, the Aussie uh, network um, helped me out there and did a bit of sort of consulting or contract work with the ECB again while I was sort of finding my feet. But um, uh, DMC then won a contract with the ECB and um, they kind of chatted and, and through various networks and family and all that kind of, they, they heard that I was here and, um, you know, they kind of recommended that I get involved. And so... Um, started out as a, an account manager part-time by myself um, sort of six years ago. Was, um, DMC um, are based in Melbourne, started in Melbourne 10 years ago, DMC Sport that is, um, and it was bred out of uh, Dino and Louise, our, our founders and now managing director and CEO, um, 
they saw a gap in the market uh, in Melbourne, in Australia, with uh, based in Melbourne, um, where sports were struggling a little bit with quality sporting equipment, fit for purpose, and the logistics behind it. So you know you could always go out and get you know decent sporting equipment, but you couldn't. There wasn't much um, innovation or kind of efficiency around getting that kit out to um, the kids or to the clubs or the parents or coaches or whoever it might be. Um, and they had a, they had a bit of experience in or quite a bit of experience in um, uh, direct direct marketing and logistics, um, and so they combined those those two things and, and started this started DMC Sport. Um, the best way to explain what we do, I think, um, uh, I'm, I'm guessing the majority of your audience is in Australia, but if you sign up to a a, a junior program like a NetSet Go, like a, a Woolworths Blast. Um, an Oz kick, um, hot shots, whatever it might be. You sign up as a parent, or you sign your kid up as a parent, and um, you know you'll get sent um, a cricket bat, a backpack, a ball, a drink bottle, hat, t-shirt. So we produce all of that equipment and then get it to to the child or to the coach um, or to the club. And so um, we do that full end to end management of the of of the product and and the logistics. Um, so we're not a brand as such. We're a white label. Um, so we don't put the DMC brand on any of the equipment or any of the shirts. Um, uh, we put the program brand. So it's the Woolworths Blast brand or it's the um, NetSec Go brand. Um, and so basically we manage all of that. Um, traditionally, you know, that might get left to the development staff and some of the operational staff in the office and you'll find boardrooms full of um you know, envelopes being packed or whatever it might be. We, we take all that uh, worry off off those guys so then they can actually be experts and, and do the work that they're paid to be doing, not to be, um, uh, you know, stacking envelopes or packing kit bags or whatever it might be. So we take all of that away from them um, and, uh, you know, manage it and, and now do it in a, in a <clears throat> excuse me, in a way that, um, you know, is quite efficient and, um you know, technology led. Um, so we, you know, we, we utilize various platforms to allow um, analysis and reporting um, live, you know, live data that can come through to the, to the organization so they can, um, you know, they can do inventory management a lot better. They can, um, yeah, they can work out where stock is, how much value they've got in, in the, in the warehouse, etc. So um, we've managed to really find a, find a space that, um, and, and a and a process um, that works for sports um, around the world now, and so those those programs like Woolworths Blast and Auskick, they've been around for thirty or forty years in Australia. Whereas over here in the UK, um, it's probably you know All Stars Cricket with the ECB is probably the first nationally led program of, of that type over here, and that's um, six years ago that we we won the contract and started working with them. Um, on that, and and they sort of they took worst blast and and best features of different programs in Australia, brought it over here, and and um, created a really really good program. And and in six six years or so, they've you know they're getting one hundred and twenty thousand kids um, um, playing each year, which is which is unreal. So uh, that's that's what DMC do. And then I guess my role um, within that is um, started off as an account manager, um, and now six years later, we're we're soon to have five staff here in the London office. Um, and I'm, I'm commercial director, so managing those staff, managing um, the relationships at the kind of higher end of those partnerships that we have. Um, so trying to identify any opportunities within those current partners, but also meeting with uh, you know potential clients both here in the UK and now in the US. We're dipping our toe into the US to see um, you know whether there's a need and market there for for, for our services. So. Um, yeah, that's that's a, a, a rough kind of idea of, of my role, and it's um, it's ever changing, which is really cool, and and lots of variety, which is which is also really good. Amazing. I reckon a lot of people would have had some sort of touch point with DMC without even realizing it along the journey. Yeah, yeah, that's it is it is fascinating. Uh, sorry, to, sorry to cut you, but yeah, I'll I'll be walking. Um, at the airport or something, and you'll see an All Stars backpack, and you you know you yeah. want to go up and like shake the parents' hand or say thanks, but uh, it's it's pretty cool to see see the kid out there, and um and I've been lucky enough to be to visit India and and um see the products being made um uh, there, so you see it right from that point um through through to a 
a kid or, or a parent enjoying or a coach enjoying the, the, the kit, it's, um, it's quite a cool experience. That's very cool. Let's, uh, let's switch lines to uh, sport in, in London. And um, I was wondering if you could give us a bit of an overview of the industry there. I know a lot of people might be familiar with what the industry looks like in, say, Melbourne, where you've got a whole bunch of professional teams, a lot of national bodies, agencies that support that and other opportunities that come up. How does something like the industry in Melbourne compare to what's happening in London? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of similarities, um, but there's uh, like like an industry. There's there's different um, aspects or complexities within within that. Um, so, um, yeah, you, you, you think it's, uh, and I, I guess I can only speak from my sort of personal experience, but. Um, I, I had a really good network in Melbourne and in the sports industry and, and in Australia, actually, um, given my time at, at the Sports Commission and, and Netball Australia and, and working around um, with the states there. But, um, you, like, you kind of say that it is quite a small industry there. Everyone knows everyone. Um, and when I got here, I thought, oh, this is this is crazy. Like, you know, I don't know anyone and, um, you know, uh, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to lean on some of those networks? But thankfully, um, through, through those networks uh, in Australia, I was able, I was able to um, you know meet with people. So as soon as I got here, I kind of um, started having coffees and, and beers with um, different people in, in um, different sporting bodies over here. Um, and you know, I must say that most, if not all, were really kind with their time and um, you know keen to help and and just have a coffee with someone they'd never met, um, probably doing a favour for a friend or whatever. So um, you know, in that sense, it's very similar. So. The sporting, you know, the sporting industry over here, while it's <clears throat> a lot bigger um, in terms of the amount of people here, it is the same. You know, it is quite small. Um, uh, you know, people, particularly in, in certain. You know, so, if you're in the commercial, or if you're in marketing, or if you're in sport development within those kind of sectors of the sports um, industry, <clears throat> it is quite small, which is which is pretty cool because you can, um, you know, get to meet people at different conferences or networking events and, and then, um, you know, share, share knowledge and share the journey together, I guess. Um, so that's pretty cool. So that's, that's the one similarity. I think, um, the, one of the big differences is that, um, is the, the leagues and that those clubs, um, are definitely massive beasts over here and different. So you're talking about your EPL clubs. Um, and if you, if we use football over here as, as an example, it's just a huge industry, obviously, um, and you know the EPL clubs are, are only one part of it. Like it, it's, um, I don't know the numbers, but there's like there's hundreds of clubs that go right down to, you know, local football that are still paying some players and still, um, you know, are, are running businesses. Um, and I think um, you can probably get a little bit lost in that. And everyone um, talks about going to an EPL club, but um, it's good to remember that there are there are other clubs and there's the lower leagues. Um, and the English Football League and the, the FA, so there's different parts of that. So it is it is bigger um, in in that term in that sense as well. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of it does take a bit of time to get your head around it, but it's um, you know it's uh, it is all there, and people are people are willing to help. You know, if you if you find the right avenue. I love that you mention all the the soccer leagues. I'm sure there's there's plenty of people tuning in who think. You know, I'd love to work for a Premier League team one day, but also, you know, would be happy to go and work for Hereford Football Club in the the fifth tier or something like that, because that is still very much like, no, I don't know if it's, it is professional. It is professional. Yeah, but like, no, it is. there's so many opportunities there, whereas like in Australia, it's like, you're only really going to want to be working for an A-League team because that is the only professional league so it sounds like there's just a lot of avenues there which is which is awesome yeah definitely and i don't know if people um you know there's there's an aussie that's the ceo of the, of the club here um ebsfleet united and and um they're they've just gone to they've just they won their division last year so they're going up to league football so that's um that's very confusing i think it's sort of maybe sixth division fifth division uh, you yeah. know so five levels under the um epl and and damien the ceo is an aussie um, he's running a, a really good um, club out there, and it's a small community club. But they're, you know, he's making money, and they're, um, <clears throat> you know, employing people um, for all sorts of roles there. Um, and so, and I actually took a, a bunch of mates out there one day for the president's lunch, and you know, it's like a, um, it's like 
you know, a, a good community club that, that you know, yeah. runs like any other business. So it's, it's really cool. Remind, Ryan, that reminds me a bit of uh, Mitch Woods going up to run the Noosa Tigers in the in the, uh, in the NEFL. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> the Superbox. I know, I know Mitch as well. I've, I've played... I, oh, there you go. <laughs> worked with Mitch at Netball Australia. So, yeah, I followed, followed him up there and saw... Uh, did he use player playing and uh, playing as, as well as yeah. involved? He, he could have easily played. I'm not sure if he pulled the boots on. He's a very very fit fit man. But um, yeah, good on the administration side too. The uh, the inventor of the super box. So never been done before the super box. Uh, he at, at the grassroots level. Yeah, he, he commercialised <laughs> the, the gra- super box <laughs> at grassroots level. So he he goes he down. Made people believe. It's a good idea. Yeah, he goes down in history. Uh, and shout out to Mitch, he'd, he'd yeah. be listening. Um, Chris, when I first uh, heard your name, it was in the same discussion of the Muller Group, which we mentioned just before we got on air. Um, can you tell us a little bit about it? How did it start and, and what sort of people are, are inside? Yeah, well, I mean, um, it's it's a great group, the Muller Group, um, and even a few of the people that I've mentioned um uh, so far, you know, this morning um, are involved. So Damien, um, the the chap I mentioned, who's the CEO of Ebsfleet United, he's he's involved and, and, a, and a, a very active member of my, the Muller Group. Um, so uh, basically the Muller Group, um, I can definitely won't take credit in starting it or, or being involved sort of um, heavily early days, but it was started by um, about sort of four or five of us really who were catching up and realised um, in London, we're all Aussies, um, all involved in sport um, and all doing really good things. And so the Muller Group um, was kind of born out of that. And Tom Rishpith, who you may or may not know, who's now working back at um, uh, at, at Football Australia, he was involved. Uh, so he's, he's been, he's, you know, he was pivotal in, in starting it really. But um, there, was, there was a bunch of us um, and we realised that, you know, we, we were doing good work and that we enjoyed having a beer together. Um, and so what we thought uh, the idea would be that we'd um, start a, a networking group, essentially, but a really informal sort of casual networking group that would catch up um, irregularly, really, or informally, um, and uh, just, just chat about, just catch up. So um, I think the idea was to to be able to help each other out when we could as well. So, um, you know, share stories, share the, you know the war stories and the good times and successes, but also um, you know if we could uh, help each other out by um, you know um, using each other's services or or um, helping each other recruitment. Um, you know, so if, you know if we needed someone, that, you know, using our networks basically. Um, and so that's where it started, and, and it, it really um, it was word of mouth. Um, so this is pre-COVID, um, and so we'd catch up maybe once every month or two. Um, if you couldn't come, that was fine. There's no sort of membership, no no payment needed or anything like that. Um, it was all done. James Earl, who, who's over here, he's, um, he sort of he and his, his team at his work managed the the um, the mailing list, which um, you know was was a tough work as well because you just get random emails from people that would um, want to be put on the list. And basically, we'd we'd send out a note to everyone on that list saying, "Look, we're going to head to this pub for um, a few beers. Come along if you can." and, and Bring, bring whoever you like. Um, the the rough the the rough sort of uh, structure is that you if you you don't have to be an Aussie, but you kind of connected to Australia in sport. So you may have worked in you may be an English person that's worked in sport in Australia, and now you've moved back and you you want to stay connected or whatever it might be. Um, and so I think pre COVID we were kind of you know 100, 150 people on that list. Um, so it was quite strong starting to, you know, um, we started to connect with the High Commission over here, so Australia House, who were having um, various events where they would invite us to. Um, so that we'd often use that as our catch-up there at Australia House. So whether it was, you know, one year we had um, Rod Labor speak during Wimbledon, so they invited, you know, to a breakfast, so we got invited to that. Or we had, um, during the Rugby World Cup, we had, I think, um, uh, a couple of the Wallabies players and Eddie Jones, maybe. But, um, yeah, basically, whatever we could, we'd just attach ourselves to and, and get involved. Um, and the reason that we called it the Muller Group um, was because of Johnny Muller, who was um, part of the first Indigenous team, or the first team, to come over and tour Australia to play cricket. Um, and he 
uh, there's some fascinating stories. I think the, the medal is now um, named after him, the Johnny Malamedi medal, um, which I think is, is that the Boxing Day Test medal, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I think the Boxing Day which, one. Uh, yeah, yeah, Scotty Boland won last year. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that's named after the same same person, obviously, and um, the reason we named it after him was um, because, you know, he came over here, did some great things and, and showed, showed the Poms how to do it, and uh, that's kind of... You know the rough premise of what we, you know, we're not coming over to show them how to do it, but we, you know, we're coming over here and doing some really good things. Um, and you know, post COVID, we're starting to build it back up again. And um, you know, we look, we've changed the ways we've, we've managed it in terms. Of we haven't got the mailing list these days because it just came a bit hard. And so we've kind of um, we tried Slack and we've tried LinkedIn and um, different ways to manage it. And and now it's really just a big WhatsApp group that we. Um, that we add people in and, and that people can join. And once when you join, you kind of give a bit of an intro about yourself and why you're why you're in the group or what you're doing here and are you looking for work or whatever. Um, so it's really cool and and it's led to a lot of connections. It's led to you know um, some great discussions and partnerships. So um, you know it's it's um, something to be it's something really cool to be a part of. Um, and you know, I'd suggest anyone. Um, that is moving over and wants to work in the sports industry. It's a, you know, if nothing else, it's um, a good way to meet people, to have a beer, and and um, you know, just uh, catch up and learn a bit more. Mm. We had one of our members, Angus Yates, tell us about the Muller Group. I think he was living in Germany, but uh, flew over during the FIFA World Cup last year. I think it was to hang out and watch the Socceroos play. I recall it might have been that. Yeah, yeah. He touched. He touched base and said he was going to come over. And I was like, "Oh, look, Matt. Like, you know, don't. This is. It's not a formal thing." But it, and he's like, "No, I want to come across. I want to watch the football with a bunch of Aussies. Like, what? You know, what a better way to spend it." And I was like, "Yeah." And so I, th- I believe he's sort of made some connections through through that as well, which was which was really cool. Yeah, and then uh, Bennett Merriman put me in touch with you when I was coming over to London for a couple of weeks and I got introduced to the group and um, went through the process that you mentioned. In- introduced myself on the WhatsApp and then immediately had a, a bunch of people reach out. One of them was um, uh, Nick Pride. And this is when I started to realize like the supportiveness of the group that you guys have, have fostered. Like immediately Nick was like, hey, I'm working at the ECB. Let's have a chat next week. Went in, met Nick. And then he invited me to this like half-day conference a week after that where I bumped into you again, Chris, where in the room was people from like the NBA, um, Premier League, NFL. And I was like, oh, my God, like how – how did, you, how did I end up here? <laughs> but um, the Muller Group is uh, is good for stuff like that. I've quickly found out. Yeah, that, that's exact, and that's that's you know um, textbook kind of uh, case of, of, of why it's there, and um, you know it's 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 been great for for a lot of people, and um, yeah, highly recommend getting involved, and um, and there's no obligation either, so you know whether you can make it or you know to catch up or not, but. Um, yeah, you know, I think probably, and you would have seen being in the group rooms that, you know, probably once, you know, once a week, there's someone in there advertising a job or something, you know, so, um, we've got a pretty, the, the only real rule is it's, we don't, we, we don't kind of sell anything in there. So you're not, um, there's no, um, none of that kind of explicit selling of stuff or anything like that. It's very, uh, just recruiting or, and catch up and, and, you know, even during the ashes, there's people sort of got tickets or to events or whatever. So it's um, things like that, um, you know, uh, giving away tickets or, or opportunities, which is great. Um, but there's, yeah, we try and uh, keep it pretty informal and, and um, uh, you know, pretty, pretty social. Mm. Yeah, there are a lot of requests for tickets going around during the Ashes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I noticed. <laughs> yeah. No, property. Yeah, uh, that was, uh, thankfully, I think that's, that's all finished now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, another guest who we had on the podcast recently is a guy called Tom Hickey, who's a commercial director at Brisbane 2032. And he, um, he made a career move to New York and, uh, he talked about getting established over in a new city. And he mentioned that it was a lot easier for him being on the ground to get set up as opposed to trying to do it from home. Now we talked to a lot of people who try and make a career move to London and, they're always though everyone loves a bit of certainty before you make a jump like that but what what is the likelihood of getting a job in london before you actually leave australia um yeah <clears throat> excuse me i'm i'm always uh envious or a little bit je- jealous of um people that do land a job before they get here because that that is um especially in the in the sports i i think um 
I think there's you know some other industries where you can where you can maybe do it or you can get a transfer or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think like I'm a big. Uh, we spoke about it before about um, Ryan. I think you said you know they're moving over here and doing that and making the jump. I'm a big advocate for it. Um, obviously, like <laughs> I've done it myself, but. Um, um, when someone always asks me if they should do it, I'm always saying, yeah, yeah, just jump at it, you know, especially, you know, for the people that don't have, um, anything tying them back to Australia or to home or wherever it might be. Um, you know, there's op- those kind of opportunities, um, before, before you get too many responsibilities or commitments back home, um, are pretty, pretty limited. So, um, I'm a big advocate for it. Um, and there are lots of jobs here and that's the thing. So whether, whether it's not might be not, might not be the exact job you want or the the salary that you want, um, there are lots of jobs here. So if you do get stuck, um, you know you can grab a job while you're trying to look for something. Um, however, in terms, I, I think there's a lot of preparation you can do before you move over here. So um, connecting with people, um, you know, asking your network in Australia. Um, you know, do you know anyone in England or do you know anyone in New York or wherever wherever you're thinking of going? Um, and using those connections, I think, are really cool to start. Hey, I'm on my way over. Can, can we grab a coffee? I land on this date. You know, where are you based? I'm happy to come to you. Um, you know, I think that's really important to do some of that prep work um, and even just getting your name out there and making it known um, because things like the Muller Group, you know, there might be jobs that come up and we say, oh, actually... Um, you know, Ruben's about to move over. He'd be great for this. You know, do you want to, you should have a chat to him kind of thing. So there's lots of prep work you can do. Um, I think, uh, once you get here, um, again, it's, it's taking those opportunities up. So, um, you know, if people have offered or have agreed to catch up with you for a coffee or or a beer or whatever it is, um, then, um, you know, make, make sure you take that up and, and actually do that. I think, um, you know, there's there's opportunities to volunteer. I think there's um, the same same as you know any other country or in Australia. There's there's opportunities to volunteer, which I think is a really good way to to dip your toes in and and um, get some experience on your CV. Um, <clears throat> you know, Ruben, and I, you, you and I spoke about it, but for, there is a little bit of a um, uh, I don't know what the word is, but there's. Uh, if you if you haven't got sort of UK experience on your on your resume, then it may look like um, that you don't live here or that you're not ready to move here or whatever it might be. So there's there can be some of that um, a, a perception, I guess, that um, you know if you don't have UK experience, then you're not you're not fit for the job, which may or may not be true. But um, that's <clears throat> I think they you know they really would like to see some sort of UK experience, even if it's a a job that's not really related to what you're trying to find. Um, I think that's, that's really important. Um, there's some real practical things that you could do, um, that might help in terms of your resume. I think having, if you can have a, if you put your address on your resume, then maybe try and have a UK address. Um, if you've got a friend living in London or whatever, just say, can I, can I put your address, um, on there? Um, you know, I know when, when we first moved over, we stayed on our friend's couch until we found a house. And, and so, you're going to need somewhere for your for your uh, you know your bank details and all that kind of stuff anyway. So um, you know, friends like it always gets passed on. Um, you know, if you if someone does it for me, I'll I'll do it for the next person, and then you know it works it works that way. Um, and then as soon as you get here, having that UK phone number, so then um, you know then people can actually contact you. Um, uh, it could be you know daunting for someone in in HR to be calling the Australian number and knowing time zones and all that kind of stuff. So. As soon as you get here, get a, getting a UK sim and, and um, be contactable um, as easy as possible. I guess <clears throat> it's all about cutting down those the reasons or the barriers to um, f- for not you know for for whoever's sifting through the resumes to not give you you know not not to put you on the pile to the side. Mm. In, like on that theme of um, expectations for, for Aussies moving over there, um, it's my sound like a weird question but we get a lot of people who ask us about this topic and um are there any particular organizations that are more likely to hire people from overseas have you noticed any particularly international organizations or any particularly english oriented organizations for example um we had our uh, we mentioned tommy hickey he was over at the nfl 
he talked about being, I think, one of two or three Australians in an organisation of like a thousand people that was like ninety nine percent American and just seemed like <laughs> Americans know NFL, so they hire Americans to to keep it going. Like, um, I guess for, for Aussies, what can they expect when they arrive here? Yeah, I haven't noticed that uh, too much. I think um, you know the the culturally England and Australia aren't you know aren't miles apart. Um, I do. I do feel like the um, English organisations and, and people that are hiring, if, if they've had an Aussie um, in their team before, that they usually speak very highly of Australians and um, particularly our work ethic, <clears throat> our willingness to sort of just crack in and, and have a go um, and also, you know, get out of our comfort zone a little bit and, and try something um uh, you know, that's not on our resume or not in our um, position description or whatever. Um, I think, um, that, you know, Australians have got a really good reputation um, in that culturally and, and work ethic um, sense. So, you know, lean on that and, and um, I think definitely um, make that sort of known that you, that, that, that is your, um, the, the way you go about things. I think that's really important. Um, but in terms of kind of organisations, I... I not I've not seen that. Um, you know, potentially there might you know everyone has sort of preconceptions about you know um, about um, about people from other countries or whatever it might be. But I, I've never seen it really take you know take effect. I think um, it is probably important to realise or to, to remember that you know Aussie rules is um, for an example is not a sport that everyone knows over here. So if you're talking about working for an Aussie rules, um, organization, um, uh, they, they may not know what you're talking about. They'll be like, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, the, the size and, and the, the kind of the context behind that might be really important. So, um, I think that would be something to, to remember. And, um, you know, a lot of other sports, we're obviously got a very good reputation in sports Australia. So they, they know, you know, especially at the elite level and, and, um, you know, the, the sort of, I guess, more well-known sports, but it's uh, really important to, to remember um, some context behind the sports industry in Australia and, and some of the, where those, you know, where you might be coming from. Do you have to uh, constantly make comparisons and say, oh, the AFL, it's kind of like the EPL, <laughs> but, you know, just wait, it's only us. We, we catch it. It's the only difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people, it is on, you know, it's on, there's four or five games on every weekend on BT Sports. So if someone's flicking over, they'll see it, but it's usually, you know, early in the morning or 10.30 on Saturday morning or something. So, um, but they, they do, a lot of people do get it, but probably not the business side of things in terms of how big <laughs> it is. And, you know, I love I love showing um, people who've got no idea about it. You know, you show them some footage of the grand final or even, you know, the other week, you know, 100,000 people there. And um, even the cricket's the same, you know, you know, we sold out at the Oval yesterday with 30,000 people there and the crowd was rocking and it's like, yeah, boxing, boxing days are that times three, you know. So it's, um, <laughs> it's trying to give some, you know, while Australia is small, uh, the sport industry is, is, you know, relatively quite big. But, um, yeah, it's the comparisons is easier for someone that knows Gaelic football. That's quite easy. Aussie rules and Gaelic football is quite, uh, quite easy, but it's, um, yeah. It uh, takes takes a bit of explanation every now and again. They don't play that anymore, do they? Because it got a bit violent. Is that what happened? Oh, the international rules. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. No, they. What happened without rules? I think they were going to play, and then COVID. Um, I think they had it planned actually, and then COVID. Um, yeah. Like like a lot of things, um, put an end to that. But they were going to bring it back. But um, yeah, yeah, it's hard to see. Hard to see them spending the money on that now. I think. I remember there was a time where they had to. Just put it on ice for a little while because it was just—it was just like a boxing match from around there. I'm, I have no idea why. For some reason, the Irish and the Aussies just really went at it. But anyway, that's um. Yeah, I think those—I think those days are, are, are days that might be gone. And I think um, yeah. <laughs> even now, uh, yesterday sitting at the Oval, I love thinking about the stories of the when they played the exhibition matches for the Aussie Rules over there. And yeah, I think the Oval is where there was a big fight. Um, involved, I can't remember yeah. North Melbourne and Carlton, maybe I don't know, but yeah, I think, yeah. I think Alistair Clarkson was involved in that. I think so. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, that the I had some mates that were there actually, and, and they like the amount of streakers they had on that day were like is the record, you know, Guinness Book of Records for streakers <laughs> yeah. in, in one game, uh, which is great. Bunch of Aussies exhibition, been, yeah, really matches. enjoying it. Yeah, 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 love it. <laughs> um, 
Chris, this has been a really good chat. W- one last question for you. Um, and it's around like giving advice for people wanting to move over. Um, yeah. Do you have sort of two or three things that you would say to people who are thinking about making that move to the UK to work in sport? Um, you know, what are those couple of things that you'd just say, do this and do that to, to make sure that they give themselves the best chance? Yeah, I think I've kind of touched on a, on a couple of those, but um, number one would definitely be uh, the, the preparation. So um, oh, number one would be do it. Uh, like I, I can't, I can't <laughs> yeah. stress um, how I'm a big advocate. I'm a bit biased about it, but, um, you know, I'm, you know, I think um, it's, it's just a great, great way to, even if you are just coming for two or three years now, you can get your visa for now, um, uh, come over and get some experience in a new uh, newish environment, um, you know, it'll, it'll increase your knowledge and um, and give you something to go back to Australia with. I think it's, um, you know, really it's something really cool to take back and have um, in your kit bag um, in terms of looking for work when, you know, in Australia. And um, so that, that's, that's number one, do it. Uh, and, and it's not that hard, you know, like the, it seems really daunting, but, um, you know, the admin side of it, um, is a little bit daunting, but it's it's actually quite easy. Um, you know, if you've got some got some uh, good savings and you've got some, um, you know, uh, get up and go about you, then I think it's it's quite it's quite good and, and not too hard. Um, uh, secondly, I think is in terms of finding work, um, you know, don't don't discount not being able to get something before you get here. I think that you know, while I said it's hard and, and um, you know you don't hear about it often. There's no no harm in in having having a go and asking around and, and speaking to people and you just never know um, you, you don't know what's out there um, so doing that prep and, and looking at salaries looking at um, LinkedIn obviously and and um, Glassdoor is the other website that um, gives you a really good understanding um, in terms of um, what salaries what you know what an account manager might be getting paid or what your expecta- um, the expectations. Um, and then making those connections, I think, is really important. So that can all be done before you get here. Um, and then once you're here, it's, it's hitting the ground running. And, and I think really, um, uh, you know, doing a few of those practical things around your phone, you know, getting your phone sorted and all that kind of stuff. Um, but just getting out and it's, um, you can't, you know, if, if you're going to sit back and kind of wait for something, then um, you might struggle. Um, so it's, it's you've really got to put yourself out there, which could be uncomfortable for some people, but... Um, saying yes to events, saying yes to um, networking events, I should say, and yes to kind of um, coffees and, and catch-ups is um, the, the biggest thing I think over here is, is you know, um, make, you know getting, getting around and meeting people and learning, learning off, off the people that are in the industry um, I think is, you know, invaluable for that, those first few months. And I think be patient is the other thing. It can it can take sort of six months to settle in, find a job and, and find a house and do all that kind of thing. Um, mm. you know, you may, you may have to share a house given the prices of, um, houses in London. So doing that, you know, if you, and if you haven't been doing that, um, back home, then it could be a shock to the system. So kind of being patient and rolling with it a little bit is, um, is pretty important. Nice. Ruse, before we wrap up, any other episodes you'd recommend for people doing similar things to Chris or in, in this zone of moving overseas as well? Yeah, well, there's um, for people who, who uh, there's, there's one particular guest who's already in in the UK. Uh, Tom Rose, episode sixty nine, working in marketing at Southampton, South or South. He he just got a job at Manchester City. Yes, actually, I did say that. Huge. He's moving to Abu Dhabi. I did say that. So maybe yes. uh, oh wow, follow him on LinkedIn to follow his journey, and then go back and listen to his episode to see how he got there. Yeah, uh, Carlo Kasparian is another one who did the London move. Um, ended up working at the at the Chelsea Foundation. He's episode twenty, um, and then we mentioned Mitch Woods. If anyone wants to listen to him, I believe he's episode thirty. I think that's stretching the memory. <laughs> Testing the memory, bit, but he's around that mark. <laughs> and Tom Hickey as well, as we mentioned before. Only recently. Tom Hickey more. Um, yeah, very recently. Yeah, in yeah. the 240s. Brilliant. Mm. Fantastic. Well, Chris, it has been uh, fantastic having you on, mate. And, and we've obviously heard great things from over here in Australia. And um, it sounds like, you know, the work you're doing with DMC is just awesome. Um, and the, the Muller group as well. We've heard all about that. But just hearing about your journey in sport 
and also just some of those things that you pointed out around moving to the UK is uh, well, well, they're going to be super useful for, for listeners looking to do the same thing. So really appreciate your time today and um, hopefully catch up in person soon. Yeah, no worries, guys. Uh, um, I'm certainly so, um, happy to happy to chat to people that want to come over and, and obviously um, get them involved in the mother group as well. And um, love what you guys are doing. We've heard, you know, obviously I've heard good things about you guys and, and being able to catch up. And actually, I think we um, DMC, we had... Um, uh, Seka that came through you guys that worked for us for a little while and he's now at Cricket Australia. Mm, yep. Who are one of our Shaka one of our Shreda. partners. So yeah, so we've um, we've got a good connection and, and um, you know, I think uh, uh, across you know, from Dean and Louise and, and um, all the way over here there's there's a good connection and um, you know, appreciate the work you're doing, so keep it up. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey guys, one last thing before you go. If you'd enjoy a quick email from us each Friday on all the latest job openings, networking events, Q&As with industry professionals and latest podcast episodes, then subscribe to the Sportsgrad newsletter. Head to our website, www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe. There's also a link in our show notes to join. 